Welcome to the Halakha Hour here on JRoot Radio. We are broadcasting live to you from jrootradio.com new studios here. And it uh, looks very sharp over here. You guys cannot see it. We're not doing the camera today, but we're on audio. You can listen to us. Let me give you first the numbers to the station. We Like we ask every week, keep the phone calls till the end of time because we have a lot to talk about. And when we finish talking about them, we'll open up the phone lines if anybody would like to ask. If we don't have time, you can always call us after the show. We'll stay for a few minutes to at the end of the show in order to uh, answer any questions on the subject, off the subject, or be though off the air. Before we get to the numbers, actually, I want to dedicate today's class for Refua of my son David Ben Orit. It should be healthy and well. Everything should go well. Okay, today, oh, before that. Let's give you the phone numbers. 718-683-5858. That's a phone line in the studio. However, if you have any questions, comments, uh, whatever you want to say, you could text it, and then we'll choose to read it or not. The number is 347-927-8398. Again, 347-927-8398. And of course, any questions in the area of Halakha, if we're able to answer, we'd love to answer. And you could always email us anytime at halakhahour at gmail. Dot com. Again, hour at gmail.com for your questions. And like we say, usually, please be a little bit patient. Sometimes my phone doesn't pick up the emails right away. And sometimes we can't answer right away. So when you send an email, make sure it's not an urgent email that you need a quick answer. For that, you call other places. Call your local rabbanim. Let's get to today's class. Today's class, we're going to speak about laundry. But we, before we speak about laundry, today's Hebrew date is Chaf Tevit. The 20th of Tevet. And, yeah, the, what's the half of Tevet? What's the 20th of Tevet? Today's, the Hebrew date is the yurt site of Rabbeinu Moshe ben Maimon, known as the Rambam. Maimonides, he is, uh, he, today it's his yurt site. And because of that, because the Rambam plays such an important role in Jewish life in general, in Jewish uh, life, in, uh, also in thought and as well as in halakha, as we're going to see a little bit soon, Therefore, I want to take a few minutes to a little bit to give a little bit of a a little bit to speak about the Rambam. That's a kipshuto. We can speak a little bit about the Rambam and his uh, great accomplishments in this world. Before I speak about the Rambam, I want to quote to you a modern historian, Rabbeinu Wine, who is alive today. Shlita. He is uh, probably one of the foremost histo- Jewish historians in the world, if not the top. He has many many tapes and many uh, classes and audio as well as video, and he has the books, the art school put out on Jewish history, fantastic books. I went through those books a few times. Really, really fantastic books. So he says over there, and I've heard him also on audio say, that he, I cannot imagine how Jewish history would have looked like if it wasn't for two people, the Rambam and Rashi. These are two people that shaped the era of the Rishonim, which started... In the according to the non-Jewish calendar, in the year 1000, all the way until the 1500s, to the about the time of the Shohan Aruch, and without them, really, the world would have been Jewish world would have been completely different. Of course, that would also translate into the non-Jewish world. The Rambam, actually himself, was a descendant of David HaMelech. Happens to be also Rashi was also a descendant of David HaMelech, and. Um, yeah, you see, Mamash Malchut, Hashem gave the Rambam Malchut. The Bet Yosef, we all know who the Bet Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of the Shohan Aruch, also known as the Mechaber. The Bet Yosef, 
wrote a commentary on the tour. And in this commentary, really, it's the foundation of halakha, really the source of almost all practical, not almost, all of practical halakha, he, it's in the Beit Yosef. Now, the Beit Yosef really wrote his book originally as a commentary, wanted to bring the concept, the specific halakha with all the different opinions and organize it. And he says in his introduction that originally, when he wrote his commentary, he really wanted to write a commentary on that this book, the Beit Yosef, should have been a commentary on the Rambam. Now, as a side point, you should know, the, the Maran, the Beit Yosef, the Rav Yosef Karo, actually did write a commentary eventually on the Rambam, known as Kesef Mishneh. But originally when he wrote the Beit Yosef, before he wrote the other commentary on the Rambam, he originally wanted to write it specifically on the Rambam. Eventually he chose the tour because of whatever reasons he gives over there, but when he wanted to write originally on the Rambam, look what he writes about the Rambam. This is what we want to bring out. You know why he says why I wanted to write on the Rambam? I'll read you the original words. Lihyoto haposek hayoter mefursam ba'olam. These are the words of the Shohana Ruh of the Beit Yosef in the 1500s. F- about 500 years after the Rambam, the Beit Yosef says about him, 500 years later, he is, the reason why I wanted to write on the Rambam, because he is the deciding factor that's the most famous in the entire globe. Yeah, he's the most famous in the entire globe. Until today, the Rambam is known everywhere. In the, you know, people may not know his halachot so much, but the Rambam, everybody hears the Rambam. And of course, whoever studies halacha knows also that you cannot decide halacha without first looking. First of all, what does the Rambam say? What is the opinion of the Rambam? Now, later on, the Beit Yosef also comments on the Rambam. He says that when he comes to deciding the halacha, because in the work Beit Yosef, the Beit Yosef himself brings from different opinions. He brings from all types of Rishonim. He had access in his time to over 20 Rishonim, which was considered a lot of Rishonim. And he had access to their books and their writings and their commentary on the Shas, as well as the Pesachim. So the Beit Yosef says, now, who are we to decide who the Halakha is like? Imagine you have a Halakha where 20 Rishonim, you might have maybe seven different opinions. Who is going to dare stick his head, or in the words of the of the Beit Yosef, who's going to stick his head between the mountains? Us little people, we're going to come and decide. Can you imagine the chutzpah of a young yeshiva guy today comes and uh, I'm saying even yeshiva guy, Kalvahomer is somebody who is not in yeshiva, right? And he comes and he says, you know, in my opinion, I think that uh, the Gram makes more sense than Magen Avraham. I think that Rav Eliyashev makes more sense than Shomo Zahn Arbach. What do you mean, your opinion? What, what does that mean? Who are we to give opinions well, because we read one thing? We all oh, make sense to you. What does that mean, it makes sense to you? How much do we know that makes sense to us? So the Beit Yosef was saying the same thing in his time about the Rishonim. Who's going to dare stick his head between the mountains? So therefore he says, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to base my ruling on the following Rishonim. The Rif, Rabbi Yitzhak Mithiz, that is... The Rif, so as it's said in Ahinu uh, Ashkenazim. The Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher, that's the father of the tour, and the Rambam, Maimonides, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon. Why these three? So says the Beit Yosef, because these three are Gimul Amudei Haora'ah Asher Habet Bet Israel Nish'an Alehem Behora'atu'ehem. These three opinions, these three rabbis, these three uh, authorities, Rambam is one of them, are the Basically, the 
pillar which the world is, one of the three pillars that the world, the Jewish world stands on when it comes to deciding a halakha. That's a little bit of about the Rambam, of how he was known throughout the generations. Now, a little bit of a biography about the Rambam. Legend has it, the reason why, whenever we say legend, it means the story is brought down. Is it true? Is it not true? It's one of those things that it's really very hard to kind of figure out. It is brought down. It is, you could also maybe like source it and say, look, you know, there's a a hint to it. But either way, it's, it's a, if I'm bringing it, I obviously I believe there's some truth to it. But, you know, for those who would like to be very critical, I say the word legend. In any case, the Rambam, when he was very young, he, you know, his father was Maimon, as it says, Rabbi Moshe bin Maimon, by the way. The, uh, Rabbi Maimon himself was also Tamir Hakam. We don't hear much about him because not, we don't have so much of his writing. But there is a commentary that the Rambam's father, Maimon, has written on the Siddur. And if you look, in, it's brought down, you look in Otsar HaHokmah, they have that commentary. It's quoted in Hilchot Hanukkah for some things. In any case, the Maimon himself, the father of the Rambam, Rabbi Maimon, was a Talmid of the Rib Migash. The Rimigash was a Sfaradi rabbi from Spain. And the Rimigash was a Talmud, a student of the Rif, Rabbi Yitzhak Mefez. The Rif, we all know the Rif. Now, the Rimigash was very young when he learned by the Rif. And in his old age, excuse me, he was very young when he learned, yeah, by the Rif and towards the Rif's old age. And the Rimigash in his old age, they say the, the story is that he was by his deathbed. And Maimon went to visit the Rimigash with his son, Moshe, which is the Rambam, later to be the Rambam. And the Rimigash, the legend has it that he says that all my learning that I've done should go to your son. Basically that, you know, he should pick up from where I left off. That's how legend has it as the beginning of the Rambam. Now what we do know is the Rambam did grow up in Spain. And at the time, Spain was ruled by the Christians. And we know back and forth, Europe had a lot of times where the Muslims took over and then the Christians were over. When the Muslims came and the Amohads came and took over Spain, the Rambam had to flee from Spain and he had to run away. Eventually settled in Egypt, eventually. Now he would travel a little bit different places, but eventually settled in Egypt. And everybody knows him as the Rambam was a doctor. He was the physician of the Sultan. But really the Rambam before that, the only reason why he became a doctor is because originally before he used to be supported by his brother. They had like kind of what you call the Issachar and Zebunun. And his brother was uh, a very wealthy person. But eventually, unfortunately, there was a time when his brother passed away. He died basically. He was on the ship and Rambam basically now took on the responsibility of now he has to you know, make his own, he has to provide his own source of income, but he also took on the responsibility of, of supporting also his sister-in-law or his, basically the family of the, Rambam's, the, uh, of the Rambam's deceased brother. When the Rambam eventually became the doctor of the, of the sultan, he didn't stop learning. He had a very busy schedule, as we see from his letter to Ibn Tibon. And when he passed away, legend has it, that we know he passed away in Egypt, but he's buried in Tiberi. You go to Tiberi today, they have the cave of the Rambam. And the story is that they put his body on a camel and they let the camel go and they figured that the camel would lead it to its proper place and eventually stopped in Tiveria and that's where they decided to bury the Rambam. That's also a legend has it. Now, this is all a little bit of a small biography. I'm not giving everything about the Rambam here, but we want to tell you his accomplishments in Torah 
which is really what we know, what we have till today. This is not a legend. This is writing straightforward. And this is what really shaped Judaism throughout the ages because his connection to the government, yes, it helped the Jewish community back then. But you know what? The Jewish community in Egypt is not the same Jewish community that was from, that came about much later on. The Jewish community in Egypt, even the last, you know, in the last century is not necessarily... I don't know if there is a Jewish community still in Egypt and definitely had no connection to the times of Rambam. But the Rambam did accomplish that we have until today is as follows. The accomplishes of the Rambam, he wrote many things. There were many letters that he wrote to many different communities and there was many commentaries that he wrote and there were shoots, responses that he wrote. There are three writings that the Rambam became famous for and I will mention them in time. The first writing that the Rambam came out and it's still till today used, the Rambam when he was in his 20s, he was very young, he wrote a commentary on the entire Mishnah. And this commentary, by the way, was uh, something that was revolutionary. He wrote a commentary that was very clear, you know, explaining the Mishnah and sometimes giving Peskeh Halakha from the Mishnah. This is known as the Pirusha Mishnayot al-Rambam. He wrote it actually originally in Judeo-Arabic, which we have it today translated into Hebrew. Later on, the Rambam closed himself away from the whole world. He just uh, put himself in the room for 10 years, and he came out with a book that basically is the foundation of all halakha. Every person who comes to decide halakha goes through that book, has to go through, at least to see what the Rambam writes. And he, this is a book known as Mishneh Torah Shel Rambam, or known as the Yad Hazaka, the word Yad means 14. The 14 different, uh, not chapters, but the 14 volumes of the book, where he writes in his introduction regarding this book, he says like this, K'lalo shel dabar, K'deh shelo yeh adam sarik lehibbura heh ba'olam be'din middinei Yisrael. Then in order that a person should not need any other book in the world from to know halakha, Ela yeh hibbur zeh mekabetz l'etrash ba'apeh kula. This book that I wrote, I wrote it in order that it should be a compilation of the whole entire Torah Shabbat which means you read the regular Hamash, you open up my book, and you'll see in this book all the dinim of the Gemara, plus plus the things that were established, the customs, the decrees that were made from the times Mimot Moshe Rabbeinu Gemara. From the times of Moshe Rabbeinu until the time that they sealed the Gemara. Including the way the great era of the Geonim, the, the, the rabbis known as the Geonim explained uh, after the Gemara was published. That's why I called it Mishneh Torah. It's the second Torah, basically. You read the Torah, what we know as the Humash, and then you open up my book. This is the Yad Hazakah, originally written in Hebrew. So you're reading purely the language of the Rambam. And finally, the Rambam, towards the end of his life, wrote a book. It was a very important book in their times. In our days, as many of the Ahronim brought down, that's not a book that's really recommended. It's not really a book that's necessary so much in our days. That's known as the Moren Nebuchim. The Moren Nebuchim was a philosophical work explaining reasons of the, some of the mitzvot, a lot of the mitzvot. Plus, also, he dealt with many philosophical topics that were very relevant for the time. You know, the, the big questions. This is not, in our days, 
it's something that's not so recommended for, you know, as a Haronim bring down, if you want to see a nice compilation of all that, go read. There's a book, Hobot Al-Ibabot, and it was translated from Arabic into Hebrew. And then the original Hebrew by Rabbi Yehudah bin Tibbon, who also translated the Rambam's work from Arabic to Hebrew, his Hebrew is a little bit harder to understand. So there's a rabbi in recent uh, rabbi, you know, passed away recently. He wrote a piece called The Left Tov. This is a classic two-volume, Habot Lebabot, Suzy Brown or Burgundy. In any case, over there he writes in his introduction to Shara Behinam, excuse me, Shara Yehud. Over there he writes an introduction over there bringing from all different Ahronim that we should try to avoid studying philosophy because in our days, those questions, uh, unfortunately, do more damage than they do, you know, than they than they do positive. Of course, somebody who needs to deal with it, of course, you know, that's a different question. But usually for the regular folks, that's something to be avoided. In any case, at his time, though, the Moreno Bukhim was something that was very important when the Rambam basically, you know, came, defended the Torah in many ways, and he gave what he gave. These are a little bit, we took a little bit of time from our regular halakha to speak about the Rambam, like we said. It is his yotzai today. It's a little bit of a kavod that we could give to the man who shaped Jewish history, the man who's contributed so much to Jewish life, not only back then, but in our days. You want to see the greatness of the Rambam? Go into any good library. Go into any, that means any Beit Midrash that has nice seferim. You'll see there's a section that has Gemara, and right next to it has a section of Mishnah Yodin, and the section has Halakha, and has the Tur Beit Yosef, and all the different commentaries on Shohan Aruch. And then there's a section called the Rambam section. I don't mean that they just have books of the Rambam. They have the books of the Rambam, which they themselves contain so many commentaries, and all the different commentaries just on the Rambam. This is the Rambam. The Rambam who wrote his book that he said, you don't need to read another book. So many books were in just to comment on that one book. Because, like we said, this is the depth of the Rambam. This is the, the greatness of the Rambam. We all know that the Rambam's words contain much more than what is printed. With that, we move on now, Rabbotai, to our current class. We are in the books, in the book, in the works of the Ben Hai. The Ben Hai in Parashat Vayechin Shana Shaniya, and we are in, this, in the middle of the discussion of the subject of Libun. We've done up to Halakha Vav so far. And we're going to continue today. But before we continue, let me just outline a little bit what the Benish Hai talks about, what the subject of Libun is. In the Benish Hai itself, in Pashar Vayahi, from Halakha Aleph until Halakha Vav, the Benish Hai talks about the Halakhot of drying clothing. Basically, we call hanging things on a, clothes, on a clothesline or hanging, basically drying wet garments. And we discussed all that already. If you missed it, go back to before the Halakhot of Hanukkah. When we spoke about these halachot, and we have two classes on those halachot, very important practical classes, as halacha hour is, right? We promise you practical halacha. From halacha zayin until ted zayin, which is about 10 halachot, the Ben Ishai then moves on to the subject of libun, as we're going to a little bit define today. And over there, he brings you different forms of libun. We usually loosely translate the word libun as laundry. That's very loosely translated. We're going to translate better today, Mazat Hashem. But over there, he talks about different ways of the uh, a person could be of uh, now there, but basically how the melacha of libun could be done and the practical halachot that you know stem out from it, as is brought down in Shohan Aruch. And finally, the last 
three halachot. The Ben Yishai talks about the halachot of what we know today as laundry, which is basically washing garments. And usually we go in order. That means really I'm supposed to start from halachat zayin. But I'm jumping to the last three halachot in the Pashat Ben in Pashat Vayhi. So if you're following us with the book, whether live or not live, just don't follow us with the book while you're driving. That is not recommended, Rabotai. Even though you, yes, but not when you're driving, you're going to put other people in Sakana. In any case, the, uh, if you're following us inside, we're going to jump to the last three halachot. Why are we jumping halachot? And the three reasons number one is, I believe it's simpler. These are easy halachot. You'll see, are much simpler. It's also much more practical. Talking about wedding garments and cleaning garments through wedding them than other forms of uh, cleaning garments. In our days, wedding them is much more practical. And three, I believe also that if you will, un- we will understand these last three halakhot, really halakha yudzayin and hayt especially, we'll be able to understand the other forms of libun. When we could, uh, when we could speak about, when we discuss halakhot that we know or that we're familiar with, that we deal with, we'll be able to relate to other halakhot which are not so practical, but they're still important halakhot. Yes, there are some practical applications as we will see. So we're going to jump now to halakha yudzayin. And before we come to Halakha Yudzayin, I want to give a little bit of a background to go back a little bit, something that we mentioned a bit several times, but we're starting fresh again, so let's go. The 13th Melakha of the 39 Melachot is the Melakha of Melabin. What is the Melakha of Melabin? I want to read you the words of the Rambam. Yes, Rambam. Hilchot Shabbat in Perektet Halakha Yud, Rambam writes like this, defining the Melakha Middeoraita. This is only a um, the biblical definition of the melacha of libun. It goes as follows: Says the Rambam, Hamelaben etat semer. A person, I'm going to literally translate melaben from the word lavan, which means white. Person who whitens the a uh, wool or hapishtan or linen or tashani. Shani is another form of kind of wool or some say silk. Also, anything of the like. Which is normally whitened. Hayab. He is going to be Hayab, which means he has done an Isur de Oraita, where if he was warned, the punishment will be Sekila. This is classical Hilul Shabbat with, you know, the punishment, whatever it requires. If it's Bishogek, it's a Korban Bemezid, it's a Karet. How much is the amount, says the Rambam? In order that you could use one of it, you could use from it enough to spin one string. How long is that string? The length of about four tefahim. Let's explain this Rambam. The definition, as the Rabbi Ribia brings down in English, the definition of Bilabin in English is as follows. It's the cleansing or bleaching of absorbent material to get rid of its impurities. That's what Bilabin is. In the Mishkan, they had different garments that they dealt with. There were garments that were used for the coverings of the Ohel Mo'ed, which made up the roof, as well as the Parochet, that was all made out of material. And there was also material that was used to make the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. So, where did they get that material? What kind of material was it? The material was either linen, which is known in Hebrew as pishtan, 
or it was wool. Now, when you take the wool or the pistan from the gold, look it up on Wikipedia, you'll see some pictures. When you pick them off the ground or when you take the wool off of an animal, it's very dirty. It could have dirt from dust. It could have many different things on it. Besides that, it could be also the color is not the color that you need because let's say, for example, the Kohen Gadol, a lot of the garments of Kohen Gadol, like the ketonet was made out of, you know, it had to be white. So had they make it white, and then said they would bleach it. Now this could happen in different ways. Number one is they would soak it in water with chemicals as basically what we would do today, modern bleaching. You take bleach, I think it's called bleach, right? And you you put it on a, on a white shirt, it becomes whiter. Another way to do it is to scrub the material. Basically, you take the two parts of the, of the material and you rub them against each other. That scrubbing is what our washing machine does, if you ever notice, right? That's why it turns and turns and turns. That's really, it's accomplishing what we would have done in the olden days, which is scrubbing. The last way to whiten the garment is when it's soaking wet, to put it next to a fire. Not to burn it, but to put it next to a heating source. Or sometimes even in the sun. In fact, I realized this this past summer. Bought a grill, bought a barbecue, and I was told that since it's not stainless steel, what you got to do is got to get a barbecue cover. So I went online, and I was shopping for a barbecue cover, and I saw that they had, from the same company, same material, same size, they had two covers. One was beige, and the other one was black. Of course, black is sharper. And I was so shocked to find that the beige barbecue cover was more expensive than the black one. I said, these guys are crazy. Who wouldn't want to buy the black one? It's so much cooler. It looks exactly like the grill. Why would you want a beige color? It doesn't look good. And now, after the summer, I realize why the black is cheaper. You know what happened? So I used this heavy cover. By the way, it ripped. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to complain to Amazon. That's my own thing. Don't worry, I'll take care of that. In any case, I bought this black barbecue cover and I put it on top of the grill. And what happened is it rained on it and I'm feeling so happy. Baruch Hashem, look. My black cover, it's beautiful. It's protecting my grill. Come look at my grill today. By the way, it's not so old, this cover. From the end of the summer already, it turned from white to gray. Yes, it became old. You know how some men, you know, they, their hair turns gray. That's a, It had so much stress from the heating. No, you know what happened? That's because the, colors, the color black is painted on it. So after the rain, when the sun came out and was very, very hot, it makes it fade. Yes, it makes it fade. That's why anybody who's planning to go on vacation now and going to swim, if you have black hair, be careful not to sit in the sun. You're going to turn gray. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not. But anyway, so the black, that's how libun would be accomplished. When something is wet, and then you put it in the sun. Those are three ways. Soaking it, scrubbing it, or when it's wet, you keep it out in the sun. In any case, you're doing the melachat de oraita of nebin. That's why if you remember, we, we learned halakha aleph tool Vav, we mentioned that a person who has a wet garment should not place it next to a heating source. We wrote two problems with them. One was Bishul, the other one was Libun. Why is it Libun? And the answer is because of this way. That's how the Melachav Libun is done. When something is wet, you put it next to a hot uh, source, then it's going to whiten it more. The Rambam mentions also over here sizes. By the way, whenever, whenever I say the Rambam, if there's a Mahlokit, I'll mention Mahlokit, but there's no Mahlokit. This is accepted as Psaq I'm just saying the Rama because it's your side today, so I want to emphasize the Rama. In any case, the sizes he brings down over here, he says that the size is when you are melabin, the size of a string that, excuse me, enough material that could spin the string that's 
four tefahim long. How much is four tefahim long? So the difference, she told, let's say it ranges between eight centimeters to about 16 centimeters. It's not so big. Now, who cares about the size? Anyway, it's Asura. I want to tell you right now something very, very important because this is going to help. Actually, it's going to be, when we know this information, it's going to be relevant also when we get to the practical halakha. So it's important to keep to listen to this information. Yes, even ladies, I'll try to say it in as simple as I can. We find that the Torah tells us things that are forbidden. And the Gemara tells us what's the size, what's the amount the Torah forbade. For example, the Torah says, don't eat taref. Torah says, don't eat halib. Don't eat blood. What does it mean, don't eat? Or for example, let's say the other way, positive. Torah says, eat matzah. What does it mean, eat? Eat is anything? And the answer is no. There is a size that the Torah means. So for example, usually the word eating in the Torah implies something that, that's the size of a kezait. Like, for example, eating matzayim. We need to eat at least a kezait. Eating for bechata mazoveyachalta is a kezait. But vesabata tells me that you have to be full. But eating is usually a kezait. This is not only by food, this is by anything. By anything that the Torah warns us about or commends us about, the, when it's something that depends on a certain size, we have to know that the Torah meant a specific size. So when it comes to Shabbat, there is a certain size when it comes to transgressing certain melachot. For example, carrying outside. How much do you have to carry in order to be transgressing the isur of a melacha? And the Gemara will tell you exactly what you have to carry. Now these halachot, these measurements are not made up by the rabbis. This is something that Moshe Rabbeinu has passed down when he came down from Har Sinai. As the Gemara says in a few places, Shi'urim Mehitzot and Hatzitzot are halakha Moshe Sinai. But for us, these sizes don't make such a difference. Because these sizes are only relevant when it comes to Sanhedrin. For example, when the Torah says on Shabbat, don't do a certain thing. Let's say we're talking about Libun. It says on Shabbat, don't be transgress Shabbat. The way you transgress Shabbat is through the 39 Melachot. One of them is Libun. What's the amount that a person has to do? How much is, of, of a material does a person have to do Libun in order to be Hayab, to be subject to the punishment? What kind of punishment? Let's say execution by the Beidin or if he has to bring a Korban. And the answer is, what well, we said, four tefahim. Now, what if a person does a melacha smaller than the size of the of the, what the hachamim tell us is a shi'ur? Smaller than the shi'ur. What the Gemara calls a hatsi shi'ur. doesn't mean literally half. It means he didn't do the size that the Torah prescribed. For example, in libun, we said if a person does libun on, let's say, a garment that's, or a string that's four tefahim, if he did it on purpose, he's going to be subject to the punishment of karet or sekila. Let's say he didn't do four tefahim. He only did libun on a string that's only two tefahim. What's a din? The halakha is that, that's the way we rule. The halakha is that asur min torah. So if two tefahim is asur min torah, why do you have to tell me four tefahim? And the answer is, like we said, these measurements when we find in the Rambam, when you open up a Rambam, when you open up anything, and they tell you a certain measurement, that's only telling you what a person would, uh, how much amount does a person have to do in order to be subject to the punishment. Measurements are only mentioned to tell us when a person is subject to a punishment. But, Torah, nonetheless, it's Asur. 
just if we had a bad deen, if we had a Sanhedrin, we can't give you a punishment for it. It's kind of like when a person speaks Lashon Hara. It's assuming the Doraita. It's 100% forbidden. And it's, it causes so much problems. But if we bring, if we had a Sanhedrin, and me and another witness come and we say, you know, uh, your honor, Sanhedrin, see this Moishullah over here? He spoke Lashon Hara. They can't give him punishment. It's a lavsh in Bumaase. So there's no punishment for it in this world, but trust me, God will take care of him. Likewise, when, when these shiurim, these measurements are mentioned, they're forbidden from the Torah, but there's no punishment in this world. How does Hashem take care of it? Hashem has to do. This is very important to know in general, but it's also important to keep it in mind when we learn Libun. When it's forbidden to do Libun, Right, to which is to wear in a garment, it makes no difference what the size is. It's always going to be a similar Torah. To be subject to the punishment of the Torah, then there's a certain size. But for us, that we don't have a Sanhedrin, where nobody's going to execute a punishment today, there's no difference when it comes to size. Even the smallest amount of size is Asur Min Had Torah. Now, the Rambam mentioned something else. He listed also materials that are subject to the Minchav Libun. And the Rambam mentions more later on, and we can get to it soon, what these materials are. You know, he describes a little bit more, but he mentioned over there, there's wool, linen, and also cotton, because he says, also keyotse bahin, the things that, darkan lehitlabin, things that are normally, the way you, you know, it's normally done that a person will come and whiten them. They're subject to the melachav libun. There are other materials that are, for example, man-made that Hazal never had, Right, or there are other materials that usually people don't whiten, like let's say metals and wood. So all these materials, Bazatim will discuss them later on. What we need to know right now is that wool or linen or cotton, all these things are asur Torah. Things like nylon, polyester, plastics, or leather will be discussed each each one in its place. But I do want to point out the following: when we do discuss these materials like nylon, polyester, you should know. I want to emphasize that usually when we say these man-made materials, these man-made materials, we're talking about that the garment or whatever the subject may be about, they're 100% made out of that man-made material. For example, if I say, oh, you know, a shirt that's polyester is a sumidraman. Let's say, I'm saying, I'm not telling you right now. Let's say we're going to say such a thing. So then we have to know. Now I'm talking about a garment that's 100% polyester. It doesn't mean that there's 60% polyester and 40% cotton. And it doesn't mean also that there's also cotton threads that are holding the garment together. I'm talking about 100% polyester, 100% nylon. We're going to emphasize it more, but we wanna, we're giving right now introduction to Mechav Libun. We want to emphasize on that point. Now, with that introduction, let's review very quickly. Mechav Libun is whitening a garment that applies Midoraita to any amount of size and to the materials of wool, linen, or things that naturally grow that are normally whitened. And it could happen in three different ways, either by soaking the garment, scrubbing it, or keeping when it's wet, keeping it next to a source of heat. With that, we'll move on now to Halakhot and the Benish High. Where we're dealing right now, like we said in Halakhot we're dealing specifically with the laws of wedding garments. Basically, the Melachav Libun through wedding the garments. Let's begin with the first line. This is not the whole halakha. And then we'll bring you more Rambam and more introductions. Yeah, you like introductions, no? Okay. So, let's begin. 
אסור לתן עליו מים, דשריאתו זהו כיבוסו. If you have a garment that for some, you know, there's, forgive me, but I might have to translate, there's urine on it, what we call number one, or there's other stains on it, other dirt on this garment. For example, a lady's carrying her son, and it's a summer, so he's wearing his, uh, you know, he's a baby, but I'm an infant, and then he makes and it leaks through the diaper and it goes on her dress. She has a stain on her dress now. Or a man is sitting down, he's wearing his suit, and he's smiling and everything, it's Shabbat, and he's eating tahine, of course. Or, uh, what do you guys eat? Um, I don't know. Liver? I don't know. What, what, avocado. Avocado is universal. Not only Eskenazim, or Sfaladim. So he's eating avocado, and the avocado spills on the person's jacket on Shabbat. <gasps> he's got a stain now. So now, he says over here, Ben Ishai, it's also halakhad, everybody agrees on. It's forbidden to even put water on it. You can't even spray it with water. Why? Because we have a rule that Hazal told us in Salakhah and Shohan Aruch, Shariyato Zeu Kibuso. I want you to remember this line. We're going to repeat it many, many times. It'll be coming out of your ears when you learn Hukot Libun. Yes, you'll know this line. Shariyato Zeu Kibuso. Just soaking the garment in water, it's considered kibus. It's considered that you did laundry. And therefore, it's forbidden. We see soon that this is Asumna Torah. So what do you do then to clean yourself? He says, How do you take a cloth? Not a wet cloth, a dry cloth. So you can do it also with a napkin. And you take it and you lightly tap away that stain. And don't even press. Let's say the your your jacket is... Uh, by the way, yeah, even a man could hold a baby and make on him. It's not a for a man to hold the baby and take care of him. So let's say the man is holding the baby and the infant makes on him. Now he has number one on the jacket. And he wants to take it out. You can't press tightly with the towel, with the dry towel. You have to go lightly on it. So just to remove the external dirt, the external stain, the external moisture that you want to get rid of. Why? Because why can't I put any water on it? Because of the rule, Shariyato Zehukibuso. So I want to go into now this uh, subject or this concept of Shariyato Zehukibuso, and I think that will take us till the end of the class. So if you have any questions, make sure it's at the end of the class. Let's begin with the words of the Rambam. Rambam is in Halakha Yud Aleph, in the, what we mentioned above, Periktet, Halakha Yud Aleph. He says like this, Hamchabes Begadim, Harehu Toladat Melaben Vahayab. Mechabes, again, loosely translated as washing. Washing clothing is a toladav libun. Remember, libun literally means whiten. Like, they, we, like we said, they used to literally whiten the garment. You had wool. Usually, if you ever saw wool, the real color of wool is not white. It's not even off-white. It's more close to yellow. So how do you get white wool? You're going to have to scrub it and wash it and keep it in the fire, keep it in the, you know, next to the fire or outside in the sun till it turns into white. But if you just wash a garment without necessarily turning it white, without using chemicals, just washing the garment, it is a tolada of melabin. It is also a sumna Torah. I'm not going to go through the rest of the Rambam. We'll talk about it when we get to it. The definition of kibbus could be in one of two ways, either soaking or scrubbing. Soaking a garment, kibbus, that we said we just said in the Rambam, it means washing a garment. It's not just washing. Just soaking means I take a bucket of water and I put a garment inside of it. Let's say I take 
my, my sock is dirty. Something so small like a sock. It got dirty and I want to just soak into water. That's all I'm doing. Or I want to take the end of my sleeve and I want to soak in water. That's called Sharia. Or if you open up Shahanu, it could be very confusing. It could also be called Shikshuch. These two these two Lishonot are interchangeable. Shikshuch or Sharia are both sub uh what's it called? Subdivisions of kibbutz. They go they fall under the category of kibbutz. Another way, another way that is also considered a form of kibbutz is scrubbing a garment, right? Taking two ends of a cloth or two parts of the cloth. You know, like let's say, for example, practice right now. Take your shirt or your suit, fold it where you have the two parts of the garment touching each other and scrub it against each other. That is known as scrubbing shifshuf. That's also a problem of kibbutz. It falls under the category of kibbutz. Kibbutz, again, is in two ways, soaking or through scrubbing. There's another way we'll get to it later on when we get to it. Now, soaking, though, soaking is only a problem by garments that are absorbent, not by leather. For example, the Gemara says, if a person has a pillow and somebody threw up on it, a baby threw up on the pillow, so now he wants to get rid of the throw up. So, of course, if you take just a towel and just like wipe away the, the what's called the throw up, everybody's going to agree that's mutar. But now you see the other stain on it or it has a smell. So says the Gemara, if the pillow is made out of material, then you cannot put water on. But if it's made out of leather, you could just throw water on it. So what the Gemara says, shikshuk. Shikshuk, just soaking it with water, it's fine. But you cannot scrub it. Even leather will be forbidden to scrub. Good? Now, why is soaking, why is soaking only a problem by, let's say, wool or cotton or any of these things? Why isn't it a problem by leather? And that says you can pretty much figure it out that, when it comes to material, you look at it, you see when something, when water goes on it, it penetrates through the fibers. Not so by leather. Leather is one piece. And usually water does not penetrate. Yes, it goes a little bit if you ever get stuck in the rain with your leather jacket. Right? You see that water does go through, but very, very little. It's mainly on the surface. Not as much as a garment that soaks it up much more. Now, practically speaking, let's apply this in halakha. One cannot launder any garment bad because we're using chemicals, that's pashut, right? That's for sure. Everybody agrees that's laundry, right? For example, you can't take uh, Tide or even the regular liquid soap and apply it to with water, of course, to your garment. That's for sure. So everybody agrees on that. Not only the whole garment, you cannot put it in water or you cannot put it in any chemical. You can't even spot clean. It's Asumun Deoraita. Remember, we said Asumun Deoraita, even a small string that's less than four tefahim. Anything, it's Asumun Deoraita. So that means if you have a small little stain on your garment, a little bit stain, you cannot do anything to clean that stain, whether it's through water or even without, or without water. Kavahamu without water. That's regular Malachav Libun. For example, you have an oil stain. People want to take powder and put on the oil stain. That's Asumun Deoraita. That's the way laundry is done. Even just to apply water on it, you want to take a little bit of a spray, you know, the spray, uh, people have that spray water, which they spray on their hair to brush their hair, and you just want to spray the avocado stain. Just like, that, not going to clean it now, you're just going to spray that, it shouldn't penetrate really bad. That's Asumna Shabbat. So therefore, that's Asura on Shabbat, 
And that, not only that, it's assumed the right tarabotai. You have to be very, very careful not to do it. Being very careful, when I say being very careful, you have to be careful also sometimes what happens, and sometimes it's an instinct. You get a little stain on yourself, right? What people sometimes do is that they lick their fingers and then they rub against that stain. That's asur. Or they dip their fingers a little bit with a little bit of water and then they rub on the stain to clean it. That is forbidden minhat Torah. Why? Even a small amount of garment is subject to the melacha of libun. And when you put water on a stain where you're cleaning the garment, it's asur minhat Torah. Okay, so once we said that, we have a big question really. This question is not my question, it's the question of the Tosafot. Basically, uh, like this. You wash your hands, then what do you want to do? When your hands are, are washed, you want to dry it. Most people, what they do, they use a towel to dry it. Towel is usually made out of what? Usually made out of cotton, right? So one second, we just said that you can't even take a little bit, you can't even lick your fingers and rub your garments. So how is it that your hands are wet, and all of a sudden, you're using a towel to dry your hands? You're wetting the towel! How's that mutar? Like, you can tell me, oh, it's asur and everybody's doing wrong. No, no, no. It's not asur. It's mutar. question is, why is it mutar? So Tosafot brings this question in a different form. Because the Gemara tells us an interesting halakha, which is found in Simanshin Aleph, halakha Dalit, that it says like this, if a person is going to visit his rabbi, he's going to do a Dbar Mitzvah, he's walking on Shabbat. And all of a sudden, he comes across a lake. And the only way he can get across is by walking through the lake. He's going to have his pants soaking wet because the leg goes all the way up to his waist, even above his waist. But what he has to go through the Dvar Mitzvah. He's allowed to cross through that lake to get to the other side so he could go to do the Mitzvah. On Shabbat, of course. The answer is yes. Maybe your wife will beat you up, but Beit Din will not beat you up. According to Halakha, you're allowed to walk through the water. That's Halakha. Shohan Aruch, it's also brought down in the Gemara. So Tosafot has a question. You just told me, Soaking a garment, even a fiber of a garment, is as sumna Torah. How you allowed to walk through the river to do a mitzvah? So Tosafot gives two answers. But I pay attention to these two answers. They're going to make a big difference in halakha. First answer Tosafot gives is like this. When do we say this rule, shariato zehu kibuso? When do we say that soaking garment is going to be forbidden na Torah? That's only when there's a stain. You have an avocado stain. You're licking your fingers. You're trying to take it out. You're dipping your fingers in water. You want to get rid of the avocado stain. That's when it's asu. You're trying to get rid of a stain. But if you have a purely clean garment and you put water on it, that's not asur. So therefore, when you're going to do a dvar mitzvah, we're talking about a person who's wearing his clothing that's completely clean. And yes, his pants are going to be full of water, but it doesn't make a difference. His pants are, are clean. He's not getting out any stain. You're right. If he's wearing stained pants and he wants to walk through the river in order to get to his rabbis, that's asur because he's trying to clean his garment. But we're not dealing with that. When the Gemara is talking about that you're walking through a river to get to your rabbi's house on Shabbat, that's permitted. We're talking about that there's no stain on it. When there's no stain, there's no problem of the rule of Shariatoze Hukibuso. It's only a problem when there is a stain. That's how, that's the first answer. Second answer, Tosavot says, they, they said that he brought down the name of the Ri, is that if, if uh, you're wetting the garment in a way that you're not cleaning it, but you're making it more dirty, th- then it's mutar. This is what's on halakha as bederich lichluch. Wetting a garment bederich lichluch is mutar. What does that mean? I'm going through the river. 
I'm going to get soaking wet. I'm going to get more dirty. I'm not clean. That's not the way to clean. To clean is you soak it, you hang it up. I'm going to get much more dirty by walking through the river. Since it's done it's not a problem. And this can answer a little bit of how we can dry our hands in the towel on Shabbat. With either one of those answers. Now, which one of these two answers are going to be in the halakha? That's going to be next week's class. Make sure you tune in. But let's just tell you, when your hands are wet and you want to dry your hands in the towel, going to the first answer, usually the towel doesn't have stains. It might have some stains, but you certainly are not planning to clean the stain. You just plan to dry your hands. The second answer is that you're dirtying the towel more. Even if your hands were clean, again, you're putting that liquid on the towel not to clean it, and it's not going to clean it. It's making it more dirty. And that's the permissibility of using a towel to dry your wet hands. Now, it's not a final halakha. There's still what to talk about this. And there's still much more to talk about on Hilchot Lidbun. We've come to an end. Again, this halakha class will dedicate to Refua Shema of David ben Orit. And if you have any questions, call us now. 718-683-5858. We'll answer your questions off the air. 347-927-8398. And of course, if you can catch us, you can always email us at halakhahour at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you, uh, thank you, Iran. Thank you, Rav Nisim. Thank you, J. Root. We'll see you next week. Until then, have a wonderful week and a Shabbat Shalom.